Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Hoffpower coming to you from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast once again. And, uh, and thank you for joining me. Today, I'm really excited to introduce our newest expert. And um, he probably needs no, ex- no introduction from me. But Dr. Jeff Cole, the only living human being ever to have been both the ADA president and the AGD president. And he will be our resident expert on all things organized dentistry and the business, as Jeff put it earlier, of organized dentistry. Jeff, introduce yourself. Tell us how you got into this and um, uh, just tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. So, Doc, first of all, um, thank you for, for having me and to have this conversation. Um, to, just to put the record straight, I'm actually the second person. You're the only living one, Jeff. <laughs> and I understand I'm the only living one. That's the good thing about longevity, but I am the second person. Um, to hold the Office of President both at the AGD as well as the ADA, the two largest uh, national dental organizations that we have in this country. And so it's kind of given me a different perspective. I'll be honest with you, I never set out to be the leader of organized dentistry. Uh, I was the type of person that was never happy with the status quo, never happy with business as usual, Felt as though that if I really wanted to do something, I needed to do my part. I needed to get involved. And I often thought that speaking up would eventually get me fired and put out of (laughs) any volunteer job. And it turned out to be the total opposite. Actually turns out that when people speak up and and they speak their mind, um, it also didn't hurt that I got my MBA 10 years out of dental school. So it made me treasure just about every dental organization I belong to. Um, So that was kind of an entree as well, because as you know, uh, most people who want to get involved usually don't want to touch the money of an organization. And and in some respects, with the business of organized dentistry, um, that's really been a strong suit of mine. Well, you know, you and I met um, whenever you were actually on the campaign trail, whenever uh, I was at the TDA and we, yes. we had lunch and uh, I was, I was absolutely, uh, I was honored and shocked whenever I was invited to get to talk to someone who is running for office for the ADA. And he was just such a down to earth guy. And we shared a little bit of our stories and we honestly, I walked a lot of that same path, just being pissed off that things weren't getting done. And why isn't the ADA doing this? And someone, a good friend of mine said, get off your ass and um, do something, and then maybe the ADA is going to be doing something, because it takes you to do it. I said, you know, you know, I'm right, you're right there. And so I started with the, with the Texas Dental Association, and I got to meet you. So, yeah. And I remember that conversation, because um, I would agree with you 100%. Our, our paths were very similar there, uh, because, you know, when, when we're dealing with certain issues, and we feel that maybe... Um, our organization, and that's what I tell students now, whether it's the State Dental Association, the American Dental Association, the Student Dental 
Association. As members, that's our organization. And we're the ones that really uh, should be driving the ship. Well, and if we're just sitting there and we're using all of our energies to complain, then nothing is going to get done. Heck, you can't, I, 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 I post about this a lot, and I know you probably get tired of hearing me say it, but as young dentists, if we're not telling you what we need and want, you have no idea. I, mean, I know you have all sorts of outreach programs and trying to find out what it is that people want the ADA to be doing, but unless we're telling you, you're not psychic. I mean, you aren't psychic, are you, Jeff? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. sure that claim. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, I, I think you're right with that. And so I know that there's, um, you know, there's a lot of times, particularly now with social media, um, things can be very immediate. And so we will, know from feedback, from comments, particularly on issues um, or in actions that are being taken by organized dentistry, um, how people feel about that piece in time. Um, but I'll tell you, maybe to take a step back, I, the whole reason that you're successful in your Facebook group, the business of dentistry, is because you and those people that are involved understand one thing, that the business and the practice of dentistry has been changing dramatically. And the more and more that that changes, the more and more we as practitioners uh, have to change the way we, we present ourselves to patients, to the public, to make sure that we're relevant, right, as practitioners. The same thing, the business and the, of organized dentistry has to make sure that it remains relevant. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, just like you say, it's basically market research, understanding what our customers in organized dentistry, so it's number one, our members, it's also our patients, it's also the public at large because we know half of the public doesn't come to the dentist on a regular basis. Right. It's also our constituent societies, our state societies, like your Texas Dental Association. And so what's important when we're looking at those different groups is to make sure that as an organization, we know what's important to them. Because if not, we're not going to be successful. So over the time that you were um, the president of the ADA, uh, several things happened. And immediately afterwards with Chad, some other things happened. Some of those things, and I know that people are going to want me to talk to you about, so I'm going to bring up the fact that we can't in some of those cases because they're ongoing legal disputes. Um, one of those is Delta Dental, which some things are happening there but we absolutely cannot talk about that right now because of ADA policies. So I want to make sure people don't, don't think I'm just trying to throw you softballs, but there's things we can't do. Right. Right. So what can we talk about? And so, and so this is what I think might be um, probably most helpful uh, because no single action that we took as, uh, as an organization when I was president or that, the organization has taken when um, Chad Gahani has been president, they are all part of our strategic plan. They are part of what we are as an organization. 
And I think what might be helpful, rather than talk about the specifics, because anytime there's, there's pending uh, uh, legal action, that, that's something people shouldn't be talking about, right? Um, but to understand the mindset of where the ADA is as an organization, I think could be extremely helpful. So to kind of get to your point about how do we listen to our members? Who are our members? See, when, when I first met you and I was a candidate, I was running on a platform of stepping away from business as usual. Right. And the reason for that was the American Dental Association is a 160-year-old business. And so we have seen businesses that have been old, like Kodak, those that weren't so old, like Blockbuster, right. that did not respond to uh, changes, to disruption in their marketplace. And what they did was ignored it, and they all ended up failing miserably. And so as an old company... I think I just got called a disruption. <laughs> well, you know what? And disruption is a good thing. Right. Because disruption is what drives innovation. It's what makes us all better, provided it's done in the right way, right? So right. that all of those changes that are disruptive, we still have to remain true to the trust that's placed in us as, right. as practitioners. We have to make sure that we hold true to the, the strengths of professionalism, of a code of conduct, of standards of care. And we, as members of the profession, are the ones that have to make sure that this disruption moves forward. Because there are people out there, quite frankly, who are saying, I'm a disruptor, and they might be hurting people. They might be not doing what's in the best interest of the, uh, of the public. So one of the things, so I, I wanted to say we needed to step away from business as usual as an organization. Um, one of the ways that I think whenever anybody's talking about the American Dental Association, it's your organization, just like there in Washington, there's a lot of talk about the Constitution right now. The American Dental Association has a dual purpose in its Constitution. And I would argue it's really one purpose. And it's to advance the art and science of dentistry, that is to help us as practitioners and to advance the profession. And it's also to protect the oral health of the public. And where we've gotten into trouble, I think, in organized dentistry and as an organization, the ADA, is we've kind of looked at these two things as being in conflict with each other. Right. And it was actually going through the strategic planning process this past year that we looked at the fact that the most, that the most important word in that statement was and. And that wasn't just a link or a qualifier. It was actually saying that when we make decisions and we take action, and when we hit that sweet spot that is helping our members, helping the profession, and helping advance the oral health of the public at the same time, we're gonna hit a home run. That's where we're going to win. And, and that's where I think as an organization, um, we need to be uh, most helpful. I think that was very well said. I was actually planning on bringing up uh, the, the, the split function of the ADA. And I, I will press you on that because I think that in some ways, um, 
some ways they may come into conflict. I mean, if you look at the, the thoughts of public health dentistry specialty wise um, versus your regular GP, they almost seem to be in conflict where, um, well, <laughs> what, do you see where I'm going there? I, I, I totally see it because doc, I've lived it. Right. I've lived it for the six years I was involved with the ADA board and the 11 years before that I was involved with the AGD board. And this is what I'm going to tell you. Where those conflicts come into play is when people start presenting ideas that aren't sustainable. Right. And so, you know, when you go in there and say, we need dental practitioners to basically treat patients for nothing. That's not sustainable when they have to pay half million dollars to go through dental school. And so here's another conversation we're going to have right there. The sustainability of that, I think, is what really drives where we need to go. And so that's why I'm saying when when individuals claim that the profession needs to do something that is impossible or not sustainable, you know, that's a deal killer right there. But there are certain ways that, that we could go about doing that. And I will tell you it's good business. Um, so I, I, I do want to get back at some point to um, where we went as far as understanding our members. But you're bringing on a good point that I think um, I had the opportunity to really discuss with the dental students this past fall at their National Leaders Conference. I they asked, told me you're there. What's that? I remember you told me you were there. Yes. So they asked me to, what I love about dental students is that they're not afraid to ask you for something. Right. And so whenever a dental student asks me to speak, I never say no. Of course, I'll say, what do you want me to speak on? And it's never usually one of the presentations I have in a can. It's something totally different. Right. And they asked me to speak on um, barriers to care. And they had some very specific learning objectives. And so I went in and using my MBA, looking at the economic data about what the real barriers are to, to care and not looking at the theoretical ones or what the Health Policy Institute says are the reasons that those people who haven't gone to the dentist haven't gone, right? right. Because that's where I think a lot of what you're discussing happens is where Sometimes we're being asked to treat a problem that doesn't exist, exactly. right? So we're talking about access to care and people say there's a shortage of dentists. Is, is it an access to care problem or is it a care to access problem? Well, and that's it. And when we start to hear things like there is a shortage of dentists, when we actually see the dental population growing by leaps and bounds, right. Those type of things for me are those non-starters. The one thing that I, I want to share in really looking at those barriers to care, they are as much about consumerism, they are much about practice management and about how we can change ourselves as practitioners, how we can present we schedule patients to the consumer experience when they come into our office and how we may integrate technology. Those type of things, I think, really um, um, 
are what changes things. You know, it's not all you're talking about public health. I work with public health all the time. In fact, as the trustee for the American Dental Association, I represented the fourth district. So they were the states of New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, right. as well as Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and all the federal services, Army, Navy, Air Force, as well as the Department of Veterans Affairs and U.S. Public Health. So we had a completely diverse group that would caucus together. I will tell you, we got very good at understanding where the common ground was, that we could all work towards things um, that were very positive. But what I would say is, when we're looking at barriers to care, some of those issues um, are about public health, about public funding. I will tell you, as many of them that could really be be big differentiators is how we manage and operate our dental practices. I think that's very well said. I was speaking to someone earlier and they said, you know, it's crazy. You can have a great location, two dental offices next to each other. One's killing it and one's not. And I said, well, what is the patient perspective of those dental offices? So it's not all location. Um, I think location can cap what you can do. Um, but I don't think really that location is going to be the determinant of whether or not you're successful. I, I would agree with you. So um, I, I talked to you a little bit about how we kind of stepped away from business as usual. Right. One of the things that we did last year at the <clears throat> was to have a futurist come in and talk about CX or the consumer experience. And that's just what you're talking about. Right. You know, the whole idea that people will jump in a car with somebody to get a ride goes back to when we had chariots, right? So, um, you know, the way we've got hailed cabs before is not a whole lot different than Uber and Lyft. But Uber and Lyft has actually changed the experience a little bit, right. which people feel is much better. Same thing as with dentistry. There are subtleties in what we do that enhance that consumer experience, whether it's doing procedures in one visit versus three, whether it's utilizing technology to make the patient more comfortable. Those are the things that we're going to see. Because what I asked the board was when we look at our customers at the ADA, whether it was our members, our patients or the constituents, are they happy with our experience? And more importantly, will they be happy in the future? Because sometimes when things are changing so much in a disruptive world, in a disruptive economy, it makes you think, are we just addressing things for now? And how quickly is that going to change? Because we always have to think about how we can be further ahead in some of these issues. So. Jeff, one of the, one of the uh, concerns I've seen raised is that the, a lot of people feel as if the, the focus of the ADA is too fractured to do its job. And um, I, was, I was talking to someone, I guess it was about two years ago, and they said, well, look at this website. They've got products over here. They've got services over here, discounts to dentists. Then they got insurance over here. And then this is the patient portal, and this is the public health portal, and this is the dentist portal. How, how the hell are they doing anything if they're trying to do this many things at one time? So talk a little bit about that and about mission creep and whether or not that's actually happening or if it, it's just the appearance of it because you're trying to differentiate between the different focuses. 
the ADA does so much, and I think that's an excellent segue into um, part of what I wanted to discuss about finding out who our members are and what we had to be as relevant. Um, and this might be a little bit of a, a story, but it, okay. it gets to your point. So I told you that I was, because of an MBA, I'm always involved with the money of an organization. I was put on budget and finance at the American Dental Association and chaired that committee as well. What we were looking at was the fact that as a business, the American Dental Association's membership, and that's where we get the majority of our income, was flat to slightly increasing. So our numbers are not going down overall, they're actually going up very slightly. But we've also touched on the fact that the market share or the number of dentists in our country is growing. And in the last decade, we're almost to 200,000 dentists. And 10 years ago, that was more around 150,000. And so what's happening is while we're flat to slightly growing, we're actually losing market share of about a percentage a year. What's important for the American Dental Association, whether we're advocating on Capitol Hill, whether we're speaking about public health, or whatever we're doing, it's important that we always maintain the fact that we speak for the vast majority of dentists. And when we talk to people in the member organization categories, they look at us at our, with our membership base of you know, roughly about 70%. And they look at us and say, what are you complaining about? And as you know, it's not about the raw numbers, it's about the trends. And so we became very worried about, would we become irrelevant as an organization? Would the ADA become a, a Kodak? That was the fear. And so what we did was set out on what we called a business model study. It wasn't the business model of dentistry, it was the business model of the American Dental Association. We hired a group, Frog Design, that did a lot of design and market research for companies like General Electric um, as, as well as Disney. And they noted that we did have a lot on our plate. They also noted that those things that make the profession happen, that nobody else can do, we have to continue to do that. Advocacy, science, evidence-based dentistry, to set the standards for things like to make sure our high-speed hand pieces work right, informatics, all of those pieces, all of the standards that say this is what we need to do to run our office um, cannot happen without the American Dental Association. And so those things were vitally important. But what did we have to do to make sure that, number one, we were representing the vast majority of the members, but number two, that we were actually making sure that the income of the organization was growing so that we could really um, uh, continue to make those things happen. And so what happened was they came back to us and said, after doing a lot of market research, much of the market research that the ADA would do would be quantitative. 
what percentages of our members like X, Y, or Z, right? Are they happy with it? So the whole idea of member value, satisfaction, and awareness, right? Um, you know, are they not aware of it? Is it more advertising? Is it something that they just don't value and we shouldn't be doing or should be doing differently? What they looked at was our member base as two different groups. The majority, the vast majority of our, of our profession are what are termed collectivists, which means they will join organized dentistry, they will join the ADA, their state society, because it's the right thing to do, because of the advocacy, because they want to be part of something bigger. More and more, and this is not just millennials, it's across every generation, people in general are becoming more of what they call individualists, which means they like the fact the ADA is there doing those type of things, but for them to want to cut a check and say, I want to be a member, they want to know what are you doing specifically for me? How is this benefiting me personally in my practice? And what I see happening in a lot of discourse and, and even in some of the comments um, that I see on the business of dentistry really shows that dichotomy of people because those who are collectivists don't understand why individualists don't see the world like they do as well and vice versa. And nobody's right or wrong. What we as an organization, the ADA, decided that we had to do, we could not stop the advocacy and all of that. That's where the vast majority of our members are. But right. what we had to do was then look at the most innovative ways that we could help our members succeed. And how could we help in a very member-centric way those individuals that said, we need you to come in here, uh, we need, I need you to help me with my practice, manage my practice. I need you to help me transition. And so what came out of that was a new for-profit subsidiary of the ADA, ADA Practice Transitions, which you probably heard about, which has been piloting this past year, which is the way in which the ADA is looking at probably the best opportunity to make sure that those individuals um, who are individualists versus collectivists still want to be a part of the group. Well, we tell, need us, tell us a little bit about the, the function of the transitions group, um, how it runs and um, how it makes money and what it does for dentists. So it has just been piloting, right? So when you pilot a startup, you know that that's not in the money-making phase, right? And so um, the, what I can tell you is um, the ADA board was the one who was the sole investor in putting that, that board together. It is estimated um, by, I wanna say maybe year five or year seven, to bring a significant amount of non-dues revenue to the organization um, in the five to seven million dollar a year range. Um, the way that it is, is planning to do that is to set up a comprehensive platform to match new dentists with established dentists for the things such as mentorship for job opportunities, as well as the opportunity to transition and, and to buy the practice. The whole idea behind it 
was to maintain what we have referred to as independent dentistry. So to make sure that um, a, a solo practitioner or a small group could actually get somebody in to an area because what we're hearing from just about every dental student, you know, I said, I'm president of the ADA. What can I do to help you? Dr. Cole, find me a job. Right. Uh, we have people with thriving practices, a lot of them in some rural areas that, that don't know how to start to look for an associate or somebody to buy, buy their practice. And some of them are closing doors. You talk about an access problem. If you're the only dentist in a county or in an area, and you've been the only one for 20 years, nobody comes in to take your practice. You shut that door. There's a whole community now that, that doesn't have um, they don't care. somebody to take care of them. So, so that is the member-centric way about making sure that we keep the organization financially sustainable but at the same time, we address what those, those individuals who are, are more individualists say, this is what I want. We tested a whole lot of things. And so I agree with you that, that listening to members, you know, going on Facebook and seeing what the comments are, gives us a flavor for what's driving people. I, I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Um, I, I reached out to you whenever we met and I said, man, you got to join the Facebook group. If you want to know what the young dentists want who aren't telling you, you need to get on there. You got on there. Joe Crowley got on there. Um, Chad got on there. All of you guys, like the past, the immediate past president, president before him, the current president, you guys are all members of TBOD and you listen. You, you, yeah. you keep, you're keeping your finger on the pulse of things. We don't comment a lot. And, and you said. I tag that. you every now and then you still don't comment. I, well, I know. People bait me more than, than you do, I have to say. Um, and, and I'll tell you, and that's why I'm kind of speaking to you now, because right. I'm a spokesperson in a single issue. As the president you have two main functions. You serve as the chairman of the board. So it's really the board that sets strategic direction. You're certainly the driver of that direction. But for the ADA, you are also the spokesperson, the number one spokesperson. And so when there are certain big, hot issues, that's for the ADA president to speak about. And many times, if you noticed, even on the business of dentistry, um, when the ADA, you know, took action to make a complaint to a federal regulatory agency, whether it was the FDA or the FTC, there were official um, statements made about that. That's the type of thing that, that we would post so people would, would understand what we're doing. Um, you know, one of the things, and, and I will tell you, I'm, I'm certainly not critical about people who are critical of the ADA because they're telling us maybe what we need to do better. Right. The communication piece we struggle with. Now, now you mentioned the last couple presidents, you know, were active on social media. Yes, you guys are. Before that, we were taught, you know, the board was basically told there everybody was real risk averse. Don't get involved. Don't put this on there. Dentists. Nobody knows what the heck is going on. Right. Um, so we have made a real effort to communicate those things. 
Um, Chad Gahani just gave his, his report, his first 90 days. Looks much like my last 90 days. Um, and again, keeping some of those big things, I, I think, on board um, in exactly what we're doing. So let's, let's talk a little bit um, because, you know, you mentioned we can't specifically talk lawsuits, but we can talk about advocacy in the third party realm. And, and, and do, do me a favor, bring yeah. up anything that is recent relevant that you can talk about um, that people might have misconceptions about or they may just want to know more information about. So when, when I met you as a candidate, I'm going around and as much as we would talk, as candidates, we did a whole lot more listening. Right. My experience is much like Chad's. The number one issue, the things that, that hurts our members the most are issues around third parties, right? And it's about, about insurance. Right. And let me tell you, so I'm a practitioner. I understand a lot of those problems. I also have a wife who has been my office manager since we opened our practice. So you don't stop hearing about it when you go home. You hear so about I'm it whenever you're going to bed. <laughs> Usually when I see a complaint on social media or somebody sends me an email, it's about a day or two after my wife has already um, uh, told me about what was happening. Which oh, was the latest, right? So what we did was a number of things. Um, so you saw Chad Gahani was at the White House in September. Right. I was there in August. Why are we going to the White House? Well, a lot of people are familiar with McCarran Ferguson, but I don't know that they really understand the history. Back in the 1930s, the whole insurance industry was not looked at as a, as a nationwide industry. It was looked at as a state-by-state -state industry. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, the McCarran Ferguson bill gave all insurance companies federal um, FTC or exemption from the oversight of the Federal Trade Commission. Mm -hmm. So while you and I and other practitioners can't collude, we can't set prices, we can't do all of those things without going to jail, insurance companies can do that. They can have those type of unfair practices. At the same time, we're dealing economically with a time where, where state governments are cutting back left and right. And so to expect a state insurance commissioner to take care of every insurance problem, it's not going to happen. Well, and, and so where we are for the first time in history, we have bipartisan bills in both the House and the Senate to repeal McCarran-Ferguson. That's fantastic. Uh, it has passed the House twice. We also have what is called a SAP, a statement of, of administrative policy by the Trump administration. Now we had that, and that's only on current legislation, right. but the current legislation to repeal McCarran-Ferguson is almost identical to the last two that passed the House. And, and the SAP, for people who don't know, is basically his, he's saying, I support this. I support this and I'll sign it when it hits my desk. Right. And, so we went there to shore up that support. I met with a special um, assistant to the president so that we could go out and say, yes, the president is still behind this. We were also working because the holdup has been the Senate. There wasn't a bill 
Then there was a bill that wasn't bipartisan. Right. We have a bipartisan bill. Right now, it's in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And it is being held up, not because they're against it, because in the whole scheme of everything that's hitting their plate with regard to um, uh, making sure that appointments of the president um, are being ratified, uh, they say that they're dealing with too much and this isn't their top priority. And so we're trying to get that moved out of the Senate. I'm not going to talk about kind of currently what's happening in Washington. Right. When I go down there, I don't say I'm Republican or Democrat. I say I'm a member of the Tooth Party. I usually have my pillow on, I should have had it, um, because I'm talking about oral health. But the problem is, and I've been to Washington a lot, and the one thing that I will see, dif I see different now is the demeanor of almost everyone. Everybody I speak to, they could be in Congress for less than a month. And they smile and say, I'm coming down here to make a difference. And many times it's two or three sentences later, they're bashing somebody or the other side. Yeah. Um, that's what's kind of holding us back. But if we can repeal McCarran Ferguson and our bill is is only to health and, and dental insurance, right. then we can make sure that the Federal Trade Commission can get involved when they should. So at the same really, time, we yeah, got real quick, if, if you don't mind, sure. just to clarify a point, um, a lot of people probably wonder where the whole McCarran Ferguson Act came into play and, 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 you know, why they thought this was a good idea to begin with. Well, it was a very risky business to be in, to be an insurer. Now, it, it was a business that could very, very quickly go south, and they were afraid that these companies would get overwhelmed whenever they, they had any kind of mass disaster. It was done for a good reason. It really was. But now, whenever you drive downtown, it's not the dentists who have a building with their name on the side of it. It's the yeah. insurance company. So those days are, are long gone. They, well, they actually have the wherewithal to protect themselves and to, and to float through large disasters now. And so it, the timeliness of the bill, it, it just simply isn't there anymore. There, there's, no, there's no real purpose behind it, and it's only doing bad now. It is, is that a pretty correct assumption? That is pretty correct. And when I go down to Washington again, I want you to come with me. Oh, um, that sounds, that just sounds to like have, that, have those conversations. No good deed goes unpunished, Doc. Um, okay. But you're exactly <laughs> I'm right. I'm on the plane. Let's do it. <laughs> but just – it's like the business and the practice of dentistry has changed. So has the business of insurance companies. And that's why I brought up what I did about the 1930s. That was almost right. a century ago. That industry has changed as much as dentistry, if not more. And, and, and you're right about um, just the way that they are now actuarially able to, to deal with things, to figure things out. You know, they have... Um, certainly the resources, the savings, the protection that they need. Right. Um, the other area, so while we're working on that, that's federal, we've been working on the, the state side. So we have what is um, our, our state public affairs division. It's right. an advocacy division that helps the different state societies within the Chicago office. And Part of what we have is a state public affairs grant program. So the ADA has, has usually budgeted three million plus to right. 
to help the states financially on those specific issues that are within their state. So when you hear that Washington- I have, a, I have a bill in there actually, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, and so what happens is the, there are two different areas where right now we're trying to deal and help grapple with, with those issues that revolve around third-party reimbursements and insurance. Right. And we have to go to the barriers to care, right? And when we look at the reasons that people go to, don't go to the dentist, the number one across all segments of income, except for the very, very wealthiest, is cost. And the very, very wealthiest cost becomes a close number two. And so when we're dealing with the fairness, affordability of insurance to make sure that for the patients, things are being covered in the right way, this is really not only self-serving, you know, people say, well, if we're doing this, it's self-serving to our profession. It helps our profession. It helps our members. It's another example of it helps our patients. Right. That's kind of the, you know, the big bottom line to that. And I think that that kind of shows, I think, a little bit of the mindset about where we're going. Because what will happen is people will hear an action's taken, and then they'll be commenting on that one action as if that's in a vacuum. Right. And I can tell you that, you know, this year, Chad Gahani is moving forward with, with things that we put into play last year. I was putting into, into play things that happened when Joe Crowley was president. Mm -hmm. What's most important, leadership in organized dentistry right now, the president is there for one year, is that they work side by side and in harmony one year after another. It's no longer about, as president, I feel we should do X, Y, or Z. A, a, a year isn't, long enough to really make a significant difference. There has to be some continuity. The whole ship is going in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, you know, I remember I, I met you and Chad at the same time because Chad, for, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Gahani was actually running against Dr. Cole for president. Actually, no, I think oh, when we was, met, he was the candidate. When we had lunch was yes. maybe the second time I met you. I was president-elect at the time and he gotcha, was gotcha. running at that time. So, yes. Yeah. So what happens pretty quickly is things move. And, right. and even well, you guys, you guys all get so close. Uh, that, that was the thing I was, I was going to bring up is that just the camaraderie that I saw, it was really, um, it was inspiring to me because you think of people in a political arena to go back to your statement earlier, you, you there's a lot of vitriol, but you guys were just very collegial. And I, I really enjoyed seeing that. I, I have to say, and this is, this is the truth, um, I could not have asked for a better president-elect as far as a confidant, a supporter, as Chad Gahani. He is one of the smartest men I have ever met. I am confident that, that our organization is going to continue uh, to move forward. We're not going to see a hiccup or anything like that. Um, and he is steadfast as I was. when. When I was elected, I was lucky enough to be elected, I addressed the House of Delegates and I told them that my commitment was that we would continue to take bold action on those issues that were most important, not only to our members, 
but to the public. And that was do-it-yourself dentistry. That was the opioid crisis. And that we would continue to look at the most innovative ways to help our members with those things that keep them up at night. And what they were telling us, keep it, you know, what keeps you up at night? You have a group of, of patients that you've probably taken care of for decades, and you're worried about, do I have to close my office and is nobody going to take care of them? These are the type of things. The other thing is student debt. Um, you know, that is something... Jeff, I'd actually like to hold off on the student debt because I want to do a small segment on just that. And um, basically, it's, it's, I think, an item all by itself. That's a, that's a small 30-minute podcast. Um, let's jump back into- Some would argue it's even longer than 30 minutes. I would, I would, I'm going to try to keep it to 30 minutes on the next one. But, um, I mean, whenever we talk, we always, it's my fault. I'm just a bad host. So, anyway, um, Getting back to what you're talking about with the legislative actions that you're taking, what all can you tell our, our membership here, our viewers, what can they do to get involved? I mean, you, you know, I already spoke to you about the bill that I brought forth in Texas, the, uh, the insurance bill where we put it in the portals and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And it, it doesn't work for ERISA plans because those are national just like you're talking about it being a state versus national level. What is it that we can do to bring this up to the national level? Or are you guys looking at bringing some of my bill in? I know that they had, talk, they had called it the Texas plan or something, but I wasn't sure if anything got done from there. What all are you doing in that third party arena right now? I, I will tell you a lot of it. Um, I, I think that the whole third party arena is kind of, in this nebulous state, right? And what I mean by that is when insurance companies and McCarran Ferguson, everything was state specific. And we were told this is not a federal company and that type of thing. And now you're seeing these different states become regionalized. And so there is kind of this hybrid that makes it um, difficult. What we have found is that there is ways that we can deal with third party issues that are predominantly state specific right. um, through what's been termed model legislation. And so the fact that you can get something passed in Texas and it right. works in Texas, um, how do we advocate for that? Well, there's, you know, there's places that we go and, and we advocate um, where state legislators get together to talk about issues like that. And the ADA is there to do it. We're there to talk with the different states when they set their priorities and say, hey, did you know Texas just passed this? This would be a great opportunity. We can help you by hiring the right lobbyists, by, by hiring the right PR firms within your state. We have some you know, financial funding that we can help. That's where um, a lot of those uh, can be happening as far as on um, the local level. Now, you asked, I think, an important question, what can people do to get involved? Absolutely. Not everybody wants to go and speak to members on, at the State House or on Capitol Hill. Not everybody wants a full-time job in, in organized dentistry. But there are certainly places 
that not only can they help, but we desperately need our members. Um, one is in the whole idea of political action. Whether people agree with it or not, what drives the whole economics of politics, what drives elections is money. Absolutely. And so when, when individuals contribute to ADPAC, when they contribute to their state PAC, they are involved. And that is one of the biggest ways. And I will tell you, not only getting involved with the PACs, but also getting involved personally, it makes a difference. And I will tell you an example. When I first joined the ADA board, I was on the ADPAC board. I hear that a dentist is running for Congress. I don't know him from Adam. I sent him a check just because I found out he was a dentist across the country. Next thing you know, and I tell this story to dental students all the time because I have the pictures to prove it. Right. I get another email. We need money. I sent him a second check. Not a ton of money. We happened to be at an ADA annual meeting and the group from the state is having a fundraiser. And they said, Dr. Cole, you've contributed to his campaign already. <laughs> putting you on this committee of this fundraiser. So I bring with me a lot of dental students. And I said, when you're elected congressman, I'll be coming to visit you with dental students. When he was elected to Congress, two months later, I was speaking at the, at the time ASDA had its own fly-in, 500 dental students. I brought him over and I said, remember what I promised you. So my thing is, you always want to promise a congressman something you can deliver and then keep reminding you, you delivered it. Uh, within probably nine months of meeting him, I'm having dinner with some dental students with the congressman in Washington, D.C. Wow. Never had known him. That's the way political action works. So I would say that's, the, that's number one, the, the way to get involved. The other is to get involved by contacting um, your elected officials, particularly at the right time. And when emails are sent out from the American Dental Association, from the Texas Dental Association, asking you to contact your elected officials that day or within a short period of time, we need people to do it. It is the timing of those. That's not just junk mail that's being sent out, um, but the timing is critical. And if individuals could just take a moment to at least punch in their, their zip code, if not a personal statement. Um, what goes into their offices from those emails makes a big difference a lot of times in how they vote. And so that doesn't take a whole lot of time. It doesn't really take a whole lot of money. But I would say that's the type of involvement that we need where people can make a big difference. And let's face it, nobody has extra time um, you know, anymore, uh, but with a very little bit of time investment, they could make a huge, huge difference. I'm really glad you bring that up because I've often wondered, I fill out these darn petitions every time they come through my mailbox. I've often wondered if they make a difference. So you're saying, hey, take the time, do it. It really does. And that's it, good to know. It absolutely does. And like I said, the timing of those, and and what's interesting is, you know, we as advocates work on the time schedule of Congress. 
And so you'll say, wait a minute, how come I got three this week? You know, can't you spread these out? It's the way in which these bills are coming up or the way in which our Washington office is saying, you know what, this is the critical time for us to step in here. And I think if we could move this needle, um, you know, a lot of it is to negotiate what's in a certain committee, to negotiate what's in, in um, the House or the Senate and the timing of those things. Um, you know, it's always good for us to build relationships when we do a fly-in. But those fly-ins and the ADA now partnering with the American Student Dental Association, we have almost 1,100 dentists and dental students. I will tell you, they know we're coming. Um, and when we're there, that's more about relationship building, talking some high level about specifics about some bills, but a lot of times it's those emails, it's the timing of contacting those individuals right before a critical vote or right when a committee is, is looking at something. Um, that's, the, that's the biggest uh, opportunity. And I would, I would certainly encourage people to take it. It doesn't seem like they're doing a lot. And, you know, the marketing researcher in me just heard you and said, I filled those out and I didn't know if it made a difference. You know, I think that we do have communications that come out about what we've accomplished as an organization. I think some of that really needs to be about how our members help to affect that. The last, um, as the Dentist and Student Lobby Day, I had the opportunity to keynote that. So I was the opening speaker. And I walked through the legislative issues that we had dealt with the, the year before and talked about how our members there at Lobby Day, how the dental students there at Lobby Day, how the individuals who contacted their members, how it made an effect. I wish all of our members could sit there at Lobby Day and, and hear that. And in the multitude of, of- Jeff, you just told them. We need, we need to get that information out better. I well, you, I, you just did. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm glad you invited. So, Jeff, we're gonna we're gonna end this segment. I'll bring you back on um, another time so that you and I can talk a little bit about the landscape of dental education, debt loads, um, corporate dentistry, good, bad, and ugly, and basically where are we today? And maybe even get you to play futurist for a little while. That's that sound, sound like something we do. All right. Well, like, thank you. Thank you so much for your, your time today and, and, and giving us your, giving us uh, the benefit of your wisdom. And thank you again for serving. Thank you. I appreciate it, doc. And, and thank you for what you're doing in this disruptive world. Well, guys, you've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to the sound of my voice. Uh, thank you as always for joining us on the dear doc podcast. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.